welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors and congregational care ministers to develop and implement congregational care ministry. We also provide ongoing trainings and resources to existing care ministries. I am Reverend Melissa Collier-Getford, and on today's episode, we have a very special return guest with us, Chris Wilterdink. Chris is the Director of Young People's Ministries at Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church, and he's been a part of Discipleship Ministries for the last 10 years. Chris has an undergrad in English education and a master's in nonprofit management, and both of these have certainly shaped his approach to ministry. He is a father of two amazing kids, a husband to an awesome wife, and he is an outdoor enthusiast. He's written several books, including Building Spiritual Muscles and Everyday Discipleship, Covenant Discipleship with Youth. And most recently, he's released the ebook series Crash Courses in Youth Ministry. He is also planning and preparing for Youth 2023, the National Gathering for United Methodist Youth. You are busy, Chris. <laughs> Welcome that back. Very true. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back to the podcast. So we had a conversation a while ago, another episode about caring for youth specifically. And when we talk about youth, we're talking about sixth through high school, sixth through 12th grade, which is a huge span in and of itself. And so um, your job is to resource not only youth, but it's young people. So that also includes young adults. And so tell me, Chris, what is the difference between youth and young adults and how does that impact your work oh man okay so yeah there there are several major differences between youth and young adults um let's let's start maybe biologically and okay. we can say that you know when you're looking at the development of the brain uh young adults are wired up for the way that they're going to be the rest of their lives right mm -hmm. uh, one of the tricky parts of adolescence and the teenage years is the connections that are getting made between um, what would be called like the limbic system of the brain, which is where our emotions come from, um, and new connections between that part of the brain getting made with the prefrontal cortex, which is this like awesome part right behind our foreheads, where um, it's our logical system and our ability to forecast and think ahead um, and understand social cues and nonverbal communication. So uh, one of the big differences for me is that uh, young adults, uh, they know what's going on <laughs> much, much more than young people do. Um, whether that remains, uh, you know, as something that keeps them idealistic and hopeful is definitely something that has changed over the last couple of years. But um, the way that young adults process information and experience their world is extremely different than the way somebody that's in their teenage years does. So that explains why getting a tattoo as a teen isn't necessarily a good idea because you don't have that part of your brain developed that can forecast and think beyond um, their here and right now. Is that right? How did you know I got a tattoo when I was 18? Well, I was speaking out of my own experience, actually. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the example that I, I like to use actually is uh, brain development scientists are not the ones that created the rules for getting driver's licenses. Hmm. Um, because your your prefrontal cortex is the part of your brain that helps you understand action and consequence and the stuff that is coming at you. Um, so you can get a driver's license at, at 16, but not have a full understanding or, or even the ability necessarily to like 
understand the consequences of what happens if I cross over the double yellow line. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and young adults are, are much, much better at that. And so, you know, because those connections have gotten made, um, young adults also, um, well, today they find themselves in a really, really interesting space because I think the sort of traditional markers of adulthood uh, have been moved on them, right? Yes. Um, th there's been a lot that's been written about like the extended period of adolescence now, um, mm -hmm. where we did used to define like youth being, well, okay, you're, you're 12 to 18. And then once you're 18, you're an adult, right? Like legally you're an adult. Um, but you're not really right. Like culturally you are not recognized as a full adult member of society. Yeah. And it's weird because there's all of these different, there are these different markers. So there's not one consistent thing across the board, at least in America. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like at 18, you could buy a lottery ticket and you can smoke legally <laughs> or vape, whatever it is these days. Right. And then <laughs> you can, you can vote mm -hmm. and you can register for the military, but you can't drink. Correct. And some states don't have you as a legal adult. Like I used to live in Nebraska. It's 19, right? So mm -hmm. it's not even the same across the board there. And we know brain development wise, what is it? 25, 26 that, that your brain is solidified. Right. Right. So and it's so not even consistent. Yeah. And, and to add to that, the, the cultural pieces of what defines adulthood as well, right? Like yeah. I think there used to be the idea, especially in the U S of this linear progression, right? Like you graduate high school and then you make the choice if you're going to go professional route right away, or if you're going to do college, mm -hmm. uh, either way, after that, you are going to buy a house. You are right. going to fall in love with somebody and get married, and then you're going to have a kid. Um, yeah. And those things don't happen in a line anymore, right? Those things mm -hmm. can happen in any order or not happen at all. Um, mm -hmm. One of the big, big challenges that young adults are facing, uh, I, I don't want to like spend the whole time talking about finances and money, yeah. um, but it's a real crunch for them right now because uh, the basics of what it takes to live have gotten so expensive yeah. Um, that entry-level salaries um, compared to the cost of housing and trying to, you know, if you wanted to buy a house or buy buy a place instead of renting all the time, it's getting virtually impossible for them to be able to put enough financial resources in the bank that they can grow into financial independence, which would have been one of the markers of being an adult once upon a time, right? Not to mention so many entry-level positions are now requiring unpaid internships. Right. So like, think about, th think about some of those, those opportunities, right? Y you can't even, you can't even get paid for the work that you do, but these entry level positions are requiring so much experience before you can even get access to that, that job. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is a, a complicated time for them to be able to grow up. And so, um, you know, when, when we're talking about young adults today, I feel very comfortable sticking maybe within the U.S. definition of that age range sure. between 18 and 30. Okay. Um, you know, culturally, <clears throat> depending where we are in the globe, uh, what defines or a youth or a young adult really changes quite a bit depending on mm -hmm. your, your country and your, um, you know, the community that surrounds you. But, mm -hmm. you know, in general, the U.S. definition is after high school um, and before 30. And even within that age range, you've got a ton of different life experiences, right? You could be in your college years, you could be in your early professional years, 
Um, you could be trying to get a family started, all those sorts of things. And so um, one of the things that might be the same between youth and young adults when we're thinking about the, the care that they need um, is that your young adult years are still filled with firsts. Um, mm. We like to think that maybe firsts get finished by the time you're done with your teen years, but um, you know, your young adult years might be the first time that you um, get fired from a job. <laughs> they might right. be the first time that you, you know, actually get a, a professional job and not, you know, something that that's hourly. Um, it might be the first time you fall in love. It might be the first time that you get married. It might be the first time you get divorced. Um, I've got several friends that did both of those things in their 20s, wow. right? Um, and, and so caring wise, there's absolutely this need to be able to support young adults in those firsts that continue to happen. Oh, that's so good. What does it look like to support somebody with a first? Like let's, let's take one of your, let's take one of your examples. So first time, first time somebody loses a job, what would it look like to support that person? Oh, yeah. Um, if I think about it from kind of a congregational point of view, um, there certainly is the opportunity for something like um, some self-worth and some self-care conversations uh, because, you know, you're perhaps in a time of life where your self-worth is tied up with your job, depending on the wow. job that you might lose. And so, you know, what would it look like for a congregational care minister or um, if a church had a Stephen ministry program or something like that mm -hmm. um, to be able to, you know, reach out and, and just really ensure that that young person still feels like they have some value and like they have some worth because that's going to support them in seeking out that next job. Um, practically speaking, if churches have, I, I don't want to say like job boards, but, um, you know, churches are social communities and Christianity is a social religion, right? So um, if you've got a young adult who's connected with your congregation that is looking for work, um, having somebody that's being intentional about um, connecting them and helping them network and maybe find wow. opportunities that get beyond um, an anonymous job board. Because I mean, I, I know there's plenty of opportunities out there on things like Indeed or LinkedIn or those sorts of things. Um, but often personal connections go a long, long way mm -hmm. uh, in terms of being able to help a young person transition from one job to another. That's so good. That's so good. I'm thinking back on my experiences. And even now I'm not considered a young adult. Um, I, I also want to point out for churches like to hear that young adults, a young adulthood stops like culturally at 30. I feel like a lot of churches like we've got these 40s groups and 50s groups that are that still call themselves young adults. And and so, so, so let's, let's get real about that first, first of all, but I also think back on like my experiences in young adulthood and so many of them, even now are still directly tied to the connections that I had and um, the folks that were willing to come alongside me and help open some doors for me. And so that, that's so crucial. And that's a place where the church can really, like, I think, live into that, especially when you look at the. Um, the kind of the average age of Methodist churches and other churches, it's older um, with more experiences, probably more connections. Um, and, and really, you know, historically, you look at the Methodist church specifically, um, 
the number of people in power that go to Methodist churches in towns and in communities, um, you know, they have access to Chamber of Commerce. They have access mm-hmm. to all of these other um, entities and clubs that exist that make things happen in the towns. That's a really beautiful way to care for the next generation these of these young adults who are trying to get their foot in the door is to really come alongside them and support them and offer them the connections that you might have. That's really yep, beautiful. That's right. And, and it, it, it's something that takes a little bit of effort and, and just awareness, right? Because yeah. once you've been around for a little while, you, you don't necessarily think about um, how doors got opened for you uh, yeah. or who was there to kind of help you make those original connections when you were a young adult. So mm-hmm. um, it's important to be able to be that person. Um, you know, something else that your comments made me think of, and, and this goes back to a little bit of the financial stuff, but um, it, if a young adult finds themselves in a position where they've lost their job and they're making very difficult decisions about how to live, um, there are plenty that have ended up like back with mom and dad, right? Living out of mom and dad's house because they can't afford the living situation in the community where they work. And so um, that might be a self-worth, self-care kind of piece. Um, That also be an opportunity for the congregation to be able to be there for those parents. Um, Right because I'm sure those parents may not have expected to have their child back with them uh, in their twenties and having to start to navigate this, like, um, do we still have the same rules that you had when you were, you know, 17 and in the house, do I still put up the chore list and make you mow the lawn? Um, You know, what's the right line between dependence and independence. And there might be an opportunity for churches to kind of set up some support groups or support networks for, you know, parents that find themselves in that situation of, uh, you know, not only necessarily like paying attention and caring for their aging parents, but also mm. continuing to need to care for that young adult who has come back home. Yeah, that's so good. And I think the way that we talk about that matters so much. Um, it's not like they're lazy, right? They're not entitled. And if we continue to say things like that about a whole swaths of people, we're not caring for them, right? So what does it look like to approach our language differently and to um, to, to see where our biases, you know, may, maybe it was the case that 50 years ago, if you were still living with mom and dad, that was that was an indication of some of those traits, or maybe that's what you thought of about it. But that doesn't mean that's the case today. I mean, I think about all of the things that young adults we're talking Gen Z here, not millennials. Millennials are in their 40s and 30s now. Um, yeah. Can, can we freak people out by giving them like the dates that young adults would have been born? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So yeah, like if you are talking Gen X millennials, those folks are well into their 40s. Right. I would be I would be among them, right? Like I would be right. oldest well. ex, the youngest millennial. If we're talking like Gen Z, right? Young adults between 20 and 30. Uh, right. They were born in 1990 and 2000, right? Like right. they have a very different reference for the way the world has worked during yes. their formative years than, yes. you know, Gen X and the millennials who might remember the 80s or the early 90s. Right. And so you think about some of these adults who do not remember a time before 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, these adults who, when they were children and teenagers, 
the the crisis, the financial crisis of 08. So they entered into, you know, millennials were in the workforce first time. So so there, there's still some things that were happening financially as Gen Z emerged into that workforce. And so so there are some real, you know, think about the social kind of upheaval that we've seen. These are the formative years where their brains are still forming. And those are the things that they're experiencing and seeing. And so that's going to impact that's going to impact the economy. It's going to impact their individual lives. It's going to impact the way that we see family structures and how it changes. And so I think all of that's really important as we we talk about talking about young adults, right? It's it's not that they're lazy and entitled. It's not these things. It's that it's that their their whole generation has been shaped by very specific things that have happened the same way millennials, Gen X, boomers, and and so forth going back. It's it's all we're prod we're products of the things that that are happening on our timelines. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and church wise, um it, it's been significantly challenging because as I think specifically about the things that have happened in the last 20 to 30 years, a lot of them have eroded trust in organizations and large organizations, right? Like right. the most trusted relationships that young adults, and, and I'm specifically talking Gen Z and younger, um, have are their friends, right? The the right. trusted network of people are those who they know personally. Um, mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean like in person, you could know somebody very, very intimately through an online connection only, right? Right. And call them a friend and, and have those experiences. But um that's where the trust is. Uh, it right. is not in the organization of the church because young adults will look at the things that churches have gone through in the last 20 to 30 years and say, oh, yeah, you guys kind of screwed that one up. So yep. um, I'm going to do something else. Sorry. Have a great one. Um, and it's not just churches either, right? Like we're seeing that in government. We're seeing that in um other large companies and organizations that are dealing with like the great resignation um, where young adults are looking at things and saying, if you can't do it better than this, then I don't want to be a part of it. Um, yeah, and that's a right. really, really unique challenge for churches and congregations, for sure. Absolutely, and it makes me think. So, so you say that that the most trusted relationship that they have are the individuals, and so it makes me think about like ways that churches might reach out to young adults in their communities. It might it, it's going to look different than it did maybe for Gen X or even Millennial where programming is is the, the key to quote, and I'm doing air quotes, scare quotes here, getting, I, I can't stand that language of getting young people. It's, it's terrifying. I don't want to get a young person, but, but attracting or uh, doing ministry with and for, and uh, for young adults, uh, it, it's not going to be some big programming thing, but it's going to be based off of those individual connections. Like we talked about earlier, the, the relationships that you build, the time that it takes to do that. Um, you you got to actually earn the trust instead of like trust isn't just given to a person because, Hey, I'm a, I'm a church person and I want to reach out to you. It, it takes time and it takes going deep and it takes being vulnerable and, those are hard things, but I think that they're really valuable in the end because that's what communicates to a young adult that you actually do care and that you are trustworthy and that you are here for the right reasons and not just to get me to come to your church. Because we can, you know, young young people can sense that, I think. 
yes, and and I will also add a couple of thoughts because um, I agree uh, completely that the shift from programming into something that's more like relationship is genuinely important. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a really great flyer that came out of uh, the General Board of Higher Education and Ministry a couple of years ago, and it was simply about five cups of coffee. Yeah. Um, that it takes more than one interaction with a young person to be able to build a relationship and start to build some trust. And so, um, you know, if if church leaders are trying to think about how to engage those young adults that might already be connected with their community or, oh my gosh, go outside your church and get connected with young adults in places where they already are, um, mm-hmm. you have to count on at least five interactions. Right. Um, and be intentional about them. So if, if you're going to sit down for five different cups of coffee with a person, um, sit down and ask yourself before you start that process. And, and as a church leader, um, think about what are the questions that you're going to ask that go with those cups of coffee, mm-hmm. right? Um, because to, to build a relationship, it, it takes vulnerability and it takes some transparency. Um, and it really takes the desire to not only know someone else, but then be known yourself. Um, yeah. So it might take a really, really special person within your congregation to be able to make those connections who is, you know, kind of sociable and approachable, but, you know, really wants to know somebody by their first name um, mm-hmm. and hear about the things that they care about and, and that are important to them. Uh, the, the other thing that I'll add to that, I think just real quick, is that um, as a continuation of the experiences that youth have, you know, as youth age into young adults, um, the access that our age groups uh, have to information now mm-hmm. is so much broader than anything in previous generations. And so there's a real need to kind of help with processing all of that information mm-hmm. um, and maybe even being able to provide some sort of lens. And I think we talked about that in our youth one, right, where uh, we got to the idea of filters and a lens and being able to approach that information. Um, and young adults continue to see that stuff, right? There, there are young adults that are struggling within their families because um, they might have some older family members or different family members who have bought into different versions of the truth or yeah. alternative facts and find themselves losing relationships uh, because of the bombardment of information and and the lack of chance to be able to talk through that and, and really agree about things. And so for me, that... That whole idea of the the information access, again, points us back to relationship uh, and what it would take for a congregation to truly show care for a young person in building relationship with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And not just, not just imparting what we think we know right to them, like seeing ourselves as the mentor and we're pouring into these people, but actually being willing to be open enough to be changed by them and to learn from them. Because, I mean, I think this generation is the most intelligent generation so far because of the access to that information. And so what do we do with this? Like, okay, so how can we, how can we have this relationship where it's not like you're my project, but let's, let's talk about this together. Let's engage. And maybe we do see things differently. Maybe I am looking at this through a different filter, but maybe the beauty of that is if we both have these certain filters that we're, we're looking at through the world, if we come together, maybe we can have a better understanding of what, what it looks like um, to, to, to see kind of truth from a, from multiple perspectives. And maybe we can actually kind of put together 
from those perspectives, what, what truth actually is, right? We can, we can come at it from a different perspective, learn from each other and, and be willing to have those conversations and maintain relationships is just so important. One, one of the other really cool things I might just toss in here, cause I know we're coming up towards the end of our time, but, um, there's a genuine interest in kind of reclaiming some of the the lost arts or the lost skills from from previous generations. Yes. Um, and, and I'm talking about like uh, crochet, knitting, mm-hmm. quilting, gardening, um, car ma- gardening, car maintenance. Um, oh gosh, woodworking, uh, woodworking, baking, cooking, all these different things. All of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, sometimes churches look at that as an opportunity for like reverse mentoring, right? Where it's like, we can have these older generations share these skills and build relationships that way. And then if we reverse that, there's maybe some things that young people could teach us too, but there, there is no reverse. There is only mentoring and there is only connection. So um, there was a really, really cool uh, church down in Texas that did a, uh, like a pickling and canning workshop Mm -hmm. where- That's um, awesome. And it turned into this big intergenerational awesome thing. And then because that takes some time, right? Like you're in the same kitchen in the church for like six or eight hours at a time, sanitizing the jars and getting your pickled veggies in place and all that kind of stuff. They started talking about other things that were needed. And it actually came up that there was a significant older population in this church that needed help um, setting up their settings on their phones, right? Where they would like think correctly and they could stop getting all the crazy notifications and they could whatever. So then the next week they set up a, a, we're going to come together and bring your devices and we'll work to set those up to make sure that you can video call your grandkids and uh, you'll stop getting dots all over your phone all the time. And that wouldn't have happened if there wasn't the time and this desire to be known in relationship. And it was built around things that that church did well already. Like there were people that knew how to can and knew how to jar and make jelly and stuff. So those things can be fun. That's so good. That's so good. Um, I I'm looking at time and I want to, I want to hit a couple of other things kind of maybe lightning, lightning speed. One thing that I wanted to name, because it's just still on my mind. You talked earlier, earlier, earlier in this podcast about, um, using your connections to help with young people, connecting them, um, with, uh, to help them get jobs and, um, make those connections. And I just want to name that the opportunity to close some disparities there Mm. is, is really, really wonderful. Um, I think about the young folks who may not be connected to a church. That's a, that's a real privilege to be connected to a church and use, utilize another person's connections to get into the door, right? And so what does it look like for us to think more broadly about connecting with young adults who may not be connected, um, young adults in poorer neighborhoods, young adults who don't have access to those types of of people and connections that can really help them rise out of um, situations that could be oppressive for them. And so I just wanted to name the opportunity that churches have to be those bridge builders in those areas. Um, th- that that can be some justice work and not just mercy. I feel like we do mercy really well and we like to you know feed hungry people and, and, and clothe them and, and those things are good and valuable. And also part of care includes working towards justice and you can use your own personal privileges and connections to be able to do that. 
Um, so I just wanted to name that. And, and I'll tag on to that. If your church is already doing some things that operate in the mercy realm really well, right? Like if you mm -hmm. do have uh, food pantries or uh, clothing drives, or go ahead and take that next step, right? The, yeah. Those people that are there, right? have that cup of coffee and start to ask those questions and find right. out what they're good at and, and what they, what their hopes and their dreams are. And gosh, sure enough, you might have somebody in your church to be able to help them realize some of those dreams. Um, the other thing I'll add is that the, uh, there are those young adults that aren't connected to your church yet. The way to make connections is not to wait for them to walk through your doors. Right. Uh, you kind of got to go out to where they are. Yeah. Absolutely. And the other thing I wanted to name is just like one way to build trust is to care about what they care about. And so, Chris, I wanted to ask you, what are some things just lightning round that you can think of that young adults care about? Wow. OK, this will be very broad brush, right? Like none of yeah. these are universal. Yeah. Um, right. They care about family. They yeah. care about uh, systemic issues. They care about yeah. race. They care about poverty. Um, they care about safety. They care about um, the world being a sustainable place. You know, mm. it, it, any of the conversations related to uh, global warming, climate, um, lack of resources, inflation, those kinds of things. Um, they, they want a world where they can thrive, just like the mm. generations before them have. Um, this isn't necessarily a meme, but one of the one of the funnier jokes I read in in one of my conversation groups, we were talking about you know like kids and pets and plants and all kinds of stuff, and it was like one of the young adults made the observation that um, plants are the new pets, right? So if you're a plant mom yeah. or a plant dad, yeah, that, that plants are the new pets, pets are the new kids, yep, and kids are like the new luxury vacation um, <laughs> if you can afford them, right? Like in terms yes. of the time and the money and everything it costs to raise a kid. Like, and so no wonder we're finding ourselves in these really different places because Absolutely. what it takes to have each of those in your life has really shifted. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. As you were listing those things off, it made me think of a couple things. First of all, I think most people care about those things too. And so it's really helpful to see that, well, maybe there's not so much difference in what we care about as people. Um, so, so there's some ways to connect, easy ways to connect between generations that way. And then also I think about um, some of the things that you named are really difficult things to talk about, things like race, things like justice and um, uh, sustainability and um, uh, our ecology. And so it makes me think about like churches that are able and willing to talk about those things well and to even name them it is really important to this generation. And I think folks want to be a part of something that that talks about these things because they care about them. And so I think one way to care for that generation is to be willing to talk about those things. Um, and like we talked about earlier, maybe you have a different view here, but being willing to connect and stay open and to address these issues, um, you might find that there's more in common than you think. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and there's a resource that I'm going to send your way and we might be able to put in the descriptions, but there's a, a set of conversation topics called Courageous Conversations that come mm -hmm. from Discipleship Ministries. And if a leader is like interested to start talking about those sorts of issues, but unsure where to do it, 
Um, this is a tremendous set of resources that helps those conversations get started. Um, so there, there's kind of a uh, basic way to approach courageous conversations. And then from those courageous conversations, there are specific topics that have been written about related to climate, related to race, related to human sexuality. Um, and they're those topics that might be kind of hard to talk about, but really hold a lot of value um, and can build up relationship when those conversations are had well. So good. So good. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to share if, if there if if somebody wants to to care for um, youth and young adults more, you've mentioned the courageous conversations. Where else can they find you? Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, the website that you'll find absolutely anything that comes out of the Young People's Ministries office is at the web address umcyoungpeople.org. Um, and there we've got um, anything from worship lessons to uh, personal devotions. And then, like we kind of mentioned off the top, uh, the most recent set of things is the crash courses in youth ministry, which are things that I think every church should have in their back pocket to have a uh, better chance of more successful connections with young people. That's so good. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the work that you do advocating for youth and young young adults and um, the work that you do to support um, our denomination in doing that as best as we can. And thanks for this conversation on caring for young people. Um, so good. Thanks for having me back a second time. It was super Yeah, fun. yeah, absolutely. All right. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I'm so grateful for Chris and Melissa, their incredible insight. This concludes season four, all about care for our youth and young adults. So I'm going to take just a couple weeks off. Um, this is Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, by the way. I'm going to take just a couple weeks off and then we're going to jump right back in with season five, which is going to be the intersection of care and social justice. We're really excited. I've got some great uh, guests lined up, and I hope that you will follow us on Facebook, The Caring Congregation, and check out when those new episodes will drop. It's going to be just a couple weeks. I'm actually appointed in full-time ministry as well, and so I just need a little bit of a break to regroup and do some recordings and editing, and then we will be right back at it. In the meantime, check out our website, The Caring Congregation congregation.com. This truly is a joy to bring this content to you. We are so passionate at the Caring Congregation to help you create a culture of care in your church and in your community. Know that we specifically pray for you. We are praying wherever you are that you may feel God's deep love and grace surround you as together we create a culture of care. So in the meantime, may God bless you and keep you.